0: The sun has left and forgotten me It's dark, I cannot see Thanks for listening to Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Hi, I'm your host, Sarah Elkins. I call myself the cheap story maker at Elkins Consulting because the only way to have good stories to share is when you're making them every day. So just a quick reminder for our listeners, if you're interviewing for a job, Our new course, Get Hired, Job Interview Storytelling, is available for just $199, which includes the course as well as small group storytelling practice sessions. So if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I dive deeply into topics of authenticity, identity, and relevance. And you are going to love our guest this week, Lynn Rivet, Rive. It's a French name, and I love to be able to roll those R's. Uh, Lynn, thank you so much for spending time with me today to record this episode.
1: Thanks, Sarah. It's my pleasure. Also, bang on with the rolling the R. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, my grandmother on my dad's side was a Francophile. She loved everything French, and she spoke French, German, Yiddish, Hebrew, and English. She was actually born in the US, but she spoke all those languages. And uh, my father's name was Roland Lucien. Ah, yes. Everybody called him Raleigh. Yeah, nice, nice. (laughs) So, yes, we love uh, love French names around here. (laughs) Lynn, it's such a pleasure to have you on as a guest because after our first conversation, just when we decided to get to know each other a little bit... I knew you were going to share some really good nuggets with our audience today. So thanks again for joining me.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's bring on the nuggets. I hope I've got (laughs) some.
0: My husband doesn't like it when I call them nuggets because he he grew up all over the world, but was born in Washington, D.C., same as I was. But I grew up, I spent most of my time in Colorado. So nuggets are like gold, right? Mm -hmm. But in D.C., a nugget usually refers to something a dog left on the sidewalk.
1: So isn't that funny? Yeah, there's those localized versions of words, right? For us, for me, nugget is a nugget. It's a good nugget. Nugget of gold. But I don't know why. I mean, nothing like Colorado happened near Toronto. Um, (laughs) But it's the same with like pop, soda, how you say those things. It's funny to me. I didn't know about nugget. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you told me it years ago, but it didn't stop me from using that
0: word. Well, I'm with you on it. so Thank you. Thank you. So, Lynn, um, I always begin by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people probably don't know about them. And I do this because I love to give some context into slightly deeper understanding of the guest before we start diving into our stories. So, do you have something you can share with us?
1: Yeah. One thing that it, it, I I'm glad you helped prepare for this because I feel like I talk about almost everything you know in my life like on social media no filter or some filter but not a lot so I was like what have I not shared (laughs) Uh, so it's nothing it's nothing uh, crazy but at around 43 I took cello lessons this is something that I haven't talked about that much some of my friends of course know but I loved the cello strings move me like no other instrument like to the point of like tears you know just being so moved and uh, the cello being one of my favorites so at 43 I was like I'm just gonna take lessons just for me you know I'm gonna one-on-one lessons with with somebody in my neighborhood and uh, I just loved carrying that cello around you know like look at me get out of my car you know this is an important instrument because it's big I just thought, like, look at all the signals I'm putting out. I'm creative. I'm a musician, you know, and anyhow. So I fell in love with the the idea of it. Now I did do it for about eight months, you know, practicing my chord. I did practice. I was a good practicer and played, you know, the Suzuki books, like probably the third to the third one. And I was never great and I never got to vibrato like the, you know, the the quick finger kind of movement or anything like that. But what I learned about that was really important for me was that you there's a big difference between appreciation and desire. So that there are many things you can appreciate in life, like I super appreciate the strings in the cello, and I didn't need to make it something I want. Like it, it didn't it didn't transfer to being something I wanted, because while I enjoyed the challenge of a new instrument and mind you i had only played the trombone and the recorder uh before that uh, as a kid i realized it was it's it made me appreciate it more which was great but i also realized you don't have to make it something more it can be just what it is so yeah after eight months i stopped but i it was a really good lesson that's so cool there's so few people that would take that on yeah. as an
0: adult it, i'm super impressed and you said you played the trombone before the recorder was probably fifth grade. Yeah. Right? Recorder uh, was in primary. Yeah. Right.
1: And the trombone, how long did you play that? Just for the for one year it was we had band. We never had band where I grew up in northern Ontario. When I moved to near in Toronto, they had band like on TV. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I always thought, wow, kids in school have band. We just didn't have that. It was just too small a town. And I was so excited. I wanted to play the flute, you know very it was my that was my dream but there was a boy who played the trombone who i really liked if there wasn't there was one thing i wasn't more keen on than books it was boys (laughs) and i (laughs) and i knew i would get to sit beside him during all these band practices i did not like the trombone at all uh it doesn't have, have yeah it doesn't have the kind of thing i like in an instrument now there were some fun things about it for sure but it wasn't, you know, you never got to play the tune. You, you know, there were things that I was. Yeah, like, oh, if I'd had the like flute, a bass line, it it's never is never the melody. Yeah, I, but it was still really interesting to learn. I did not go out or do anything with that boy, but uh, yeah, that was the last time I learned an instrument. We just didn't have money to do lessons uh, outside of the home, so I was glad to have that exposure anyway. But yeah, you knew I was going to ask. What happened with the boy? I know I was. <laughs>
0: Boy crazy, I think I'm still people crazy. Yeah, I mean there are times where I just like crave being around yes. different people and and finding whatever is magical about them.
1: I yeah, I'll do that. So great, you have this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know it's awesome. <laughs> I'm so lucky. Yes. So
0: um, I keep coming back to this whole idea of taking trombone for a year because there was a cute boy. I love the trombone, and I would love to learn to play. We actually have a trombone in our house. We've pretty much, well, we have a lot of different instruments in our house because we're musicians. And yeah, my husband is one of those people that can pick up pretty much any instrument, and start playing it. But trombone hasn't been so easy. Right. Not that he practices it a lot because he plays guitar with a couple bands, so that pretty much keeps him busy. But we found that when we have deer in our yard eating our garden. All we have to do is take the trombone and make some loud noises with it and they go away. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so, and I love, yes. and Yes, uh, and exactly. We're not poisoning them. Uh, <laughs> the trombone is also one of my favorites because I love the music of New Orleans. And yes. the trombone plays the really- I mean, the, it's good, Sarah. It's, it's really good. Yes. I, I did know. not play it well. <laughs> Treme was a great TV show. I highly recommend it. The music alone—it's worth watching just for the music alone. But it's fantastic show. Great. Anyway, <laughs> so you you took on the cello, mm-hmm. and um, again, just a little aside, my grandmother played the cello for the Wilmington, Delaware Symphony. Oh wow! And my son Jacob chose cello for middle school band uh, symphony. And um has a great ear, and I'm really hoping he'll go back to it at some point, but you're right, the cello is a phenomenally beautiful instrument, and I love the depth of its yeah. tone, yeah when it's yep. done right, yes, yes, so why you love all strings, but you picked cello is as, as opposed to viola or bass or uh, i don't I can't imagine you picking up a violin if you didn't pick up the flute, so so
1: why the cello? Well, the violin I love as well. Uh I didn't do the violin only because that's something my daughter had taken up. And at the time I was like, We're gonna have different instruments. Also, just the cello really just again, the violin also moves me, but there was something about if I pay attention to this to the strings, the cello would be the instrument that just kind of floated above for me. Mm-hmm. Um and in particular, uh, I had been to a few concerts, but one in particular was Ludovico Einaudi, who is a modern classical, a minimal uh, modern classical pianist composer. Lots of his music has been now used in soundtracks and that kind of stuff, so he's recognizable. But this was when he was kind of newer around here. A friend of mine had introduced me to him, and we went to a small venue in Toronto. And his, it was piano, it's very minimal, piano, I think there were three cellos and three violins, and that when the cellos came, the violins too bring me to tears. But when the cellos started, I yeah, we were both kind of almost sobbing from the from the just beauty of it. Mm. Yeah, as I remember it, and uh, and I just thought I I want to be part of that. Like I want to feel. I do feel it. I feel the vibration, but I want to hold it, and I want and there's something about holding the cello too, right? as opposed to the violin, felt more embodied. Yes. Well, it's like a hug. You're embracing. Like a hug. Yeah. 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 You have to embrace it.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I can see it in the work that you do and the way that you embrace what you do. I could see why the cello was so appealing. How have you applied that lesson that you can love and value and feel something without having to be in it.
1: Well, with kind of like what you were saying with people, I mean, that sounds bad. I don't want to be in people, obviously, but it's uh, it's this, it removes the kind of jealousy or envy a lot of the time. You can You can fully just appreciate another human doing something that you're never going to do, but that you get to relate with them on it in some way nonetheless. You know, you can be quite different, but there's always this embodied experience, something about it that that comes up between two people who are really communicating, connecting. And I think it's similar to that. It's like when you, yeah, it's just that appreciation for we're all making our way here. And yes, in different ways, but there's so many things that are similar. Um, so I can appreciate, I love being able to not quite live somebody else's life but experiencing it through their the way they tell it and as you say through stories um mm-hmm. yeah so that as i've gotten older has gotten much better i you know used to be like well, i can't really have that, or i well I'll never be you know a doctor i'll never get to uh now i'm just like i get to talk to them and yeah appreciate it a lot more i hear that i think um
0: well, I know that I went through that also in my younger years. It wasn't until I was probably in my mid to late 40s that I could acknowledge that genuine appreciation and joy and celebration of what somebody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And and even if it's something that I want to do or I do, right. There, there's still... Um, and I'm, honestly, I still every once in a while get that edge of envy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> And it seems though that as I've gotten to more comfort in my skin and faith that I am where I am supposed to be, that I can, it, it switches very quickly now from envy to celebration, um, from envy to learning and from envy to gratitude for where I am. I, I wonder if that's an age thing or if there are people.
1: I don't know. I don't know a lot of young people that do that. I don't I don't either and I would say I love the distinction you made there or I also love the nuance you brought to it because definitely not and across the board. I am so happy for everybody and I never have any envy. Of course not, but it becomes a cue. It becomes a oh, I'm feeling this edge and you can lean into the interesting. That's something for me to pay attention to. It doesn't mean Anything about that person, right? Like, I don't have to not like them for that. Um, Well, not that that's what it was happening, but I think I think it is an age thing. There are probably some younger people thinking, like, of course, I've got it figured out. But I would say when I was younger, I I was still pretty self aware. Uh, It's it wasn't like I wasn't checking in, but I didn't have just time and the experience of time, and and also that feeling of finitude that you have a lot more as you age you're like i have less time in front of me than i do behind me that makes a big difference right we are in time time is relative so it definitely it's part of that equation if there's an equation i don't think i think you can have a proxy for it up until a point where you can try really hard to overcome any kind of envy and you can be aware of it and say oh i really feel good for that person and not quite be there and I hear you when you say, when I really felt it. I wasn't just trying to be a good person. I, f- I really felt it. I was like, oh, I'm actually really happy for this person. So, yeah, that's my theory anyway. Well, I
0: had a conversation with uh, my friend Valerie Gordon about this. And she's a story brand, storytelling, I forget how she calls it, but she's amazing at helping people guide them toward a a better story brand and the narrative about themselves and their businesses and um we were talking about our books and i had just published mine and she was still working on hers and she's like she calls them the uglies and the uh, no not the uglies they oh un unlikelies that's what she calls them the the unlikelies and these are the things that on the face of them are unlikely or you don't think about them as motivating factors and envy is one of them and um and spite is one you know that you you, i don't have to explain that to anybody (laughs) but the envy one uh we were talking about that and she said you know my unlikely is showing up in it and you know seeing that you've published your book it makes me really want to publish mine and um i said you have so much to offer there's plenty of room for you Right. And she came back to me months later and said that that was really important for her to hear that there's room for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you say things that you, you are glad they bring other people comfort, but you don't really fully process it yourself until you hear it come back at you. That's right. Yeah. And when it came back at me, I started using that for myself to deal with that edge of envy. Love like, it. there's room for me. There's still room for me. What I bring is different. How I approach this is different.
1: Yep. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh. Oh. oh, goodness.
0: That's steep. <laughs> so, um, I, I would love to come back to what you do and why this whole experience of taking on the cello and moving. I I, I can associate this. Taking on the cello and making adjustments and then deciding that that's not what you wanted. I can associate this with when you decided to go and do your own thing in business and that um, you, you chose something particular that you loved and you're already good at that you could just keep getting better at. So without telling us what you do, I'd love for you to tell us what you do by sharing a story about a recent, I don't know, satisfying situation with a client
1: hmm. That's a good one. I would say. Right. So recently, uh, a client of mine was talking about, you know, the things she could delegate, the things she wanted to do more in her business. And and there was resistance as there is, because these are, you know, people who are entrepreneurs tend to be obviously generalists. A lot of them, they can do it all. They can do it so they think sometimes better than anybody else and i shared with her something that i had just read which was um, that growth and control don't mix you can't grow when you're trying to control something you know too much um and so that helped her just sometimes it's the right thing you know you happen to have read something that resonates with you you share it with a client and it just like it really lands with them too sometimes not but often the thing that you're doing is the right thing for the people you're working with that freaks me Mm -hmm. out sometimes how that happens it's just the best uh these you know these things coming together and um and in that moment yep she made the decision she's like you're right i can delegate this one thing that was a bigger thing like a visible public thing uh you know she had somebody she could do that with and she just felt really great about it and now now that webinar that this person she gave to did it went really well and she it just clicked for her so yeah that again I guess the that's the big thing is the things we constantly keep learning for ourselves even though I have some expertise that's where kind of the magic happens when you're both kind of going wow isn't this amazing (laughs) Well, I love that. And
0: that's what makes you a good guide right. for people trying to grow their business. That's what makes you such a good guide is that you're constantly learning and and seeing relevant topics and content that then you can share. And, and the way that you share it, because you know your client, because you're people-centric, right. you know your client well enough and what will resonate with them generally. Mm -hmm. That you may read the same thing they read, but how you process it and then present it to them is just different enough to have that aha moment for them.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is what I appreciate about all the stories and people sharing and stuff is the way you look at it. Your perspective can really shift something for somebody else. You may have heard it many times before, but yeah. And not from the right person or at the right
0: time yeah. or in the right way. Exactly. Yes. Well, I think about that a lot, like things that my mom told me <laughs> that yeah. I ignored. Yeah. Somebody so else barbed me and I'm like, oh, that's right. I think my mom mentioned that <laughs> 10, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs>
1: I actually had my kids. So so I thought, yeah, they don't see how wise and wonderful I am right now. So <laughs> they were when they were younger, it was always in the car. I would say these things that I was like, oh. If they write about me, I hope they say that I said this, you know, maybe that's like a little <laughs> bit too ego based, but as a joke, I used to say to them, you guys should write a book, Things My Mom Says in the Car, right? So take notes. And sure enough, my daughter, not at the time, but later, started to record some of the things I said to her. She's like, Lynn, she's like, "Mom, not Lynn, mom, would you like to hear me to reread some of the things I've written for you? And I was like, you're hilarious. She's like, and I keep them here because now she's older now okay. she's ready for some of that and she's it's like four or five things in particular but she really appreciates it different time mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I maybe she was going to tease you and say something like pick up your socks <laughs> 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 that would have been good but yeah in this in this instance there was actual stuff and i probably picked it up from other people yeah
0: Oh, i love that and and i i
1: Really, it's all about
0: legacy, right? Like, yeah, and and it's always interesting to me what people pick up that we don't expect, and and then the things that we think are so profound, it just disappears. It's like ether, right? Just it's gone. Yeah, yeah and we well, think it's so really profound. Yeah. And I think about that, especially with the content that I create or that you create. That. You write something you think is so profound and crickets, and then you write something about crapping your pants. Yeah. (laughs) And all of a sudden it blows up. Like, I don't know why that happened, but (laughs) and, and listeners, I am referring to an actual post that just was the best. I just love that post. So Lynn, when you, um, when you think about your work with clients, um, what is it that you, know that you bring... You you mentioned to me in our other conversation that you have been working for other people for years, so you, you haven't started your own business. And that's actually part of what makes you such a good resource for people mm-hmm. who are running their own businesses. Tell me a little bit about why that is.
1: Yeah. So this is something that... Uh... Somebody who's a very successful entrepreneur, I don't remember his name, it doesn't really matter, (laughs) was actually saying in a YouTube video, the smartest thing any entrepreneur can do is to learn through a startup, through somebody else's business um, before they jump in. And uh, I appreciated that because I always thought like I was, I never created my own real business, you know, I was too scared or whatever, but I never really thought about it as like, this was an amazing learning opportunity um in ways that like i might not have done myself like this you know so i worked with i I was kind of like well i was a contractor self-employed with a number of different entrepreneurs small very small businesses and so i got to see a real variety of approaches and mindsets and uh you know systems and all the things that go into a business with different people and then i got to help one particular uh, entrepreneur go from about a hundred thousand in revenue to over to almost three million in the six years we were together so and i was you know involved in almost every part of that business that was a real gift that was this is one of the things that's so amazing about these very small businesses you know you get to do so much um so in doing in And I'm somebody who, I wasn't just doing my work, I was, it was, you know, she called me her sparring partner. I was always looking at it from a system perspective. If we do this, what's the impact on other parts of the business? So I was very aware of how overly complicated things can get uh, because it feels like we're solving problems when we add stuff in. Um, We rarely think, okay, if we're gonna do this, what can we stop doing or what can we take away? We generally just keep adding and adding and adding and we know that from all our systems, right? They're so bloated that because nobody ever stops to think like should we maybe clean house a little bit somewhere? So I knew that the way I think it's my approach in life that I could help entrepreneurs who tend to keep adding because you're still trying to figure out what's wrong you keep adding another solution you're not even clear on the problem so every solution seems like it could possibly be the thing you need and so you add and you add or you have to so i knew that i could come in and kind of help that decluttering that simplifying even when i say it like i just feel so good about like yeah let's let's give you space for me it's always I want you to be able to breathe.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. It reminds me of a session at No Longer Virtual in 2018 in Denver when a guy named Ben Walker, who owns a multimillion-dollar transcription agency, he said, if you start your business because you're so great and you care so deeply about ABC and you're spending your time doing DE&F, you're leaving money on the table. Yep. And being able to, as you say, declutter and um, really focus in on what you want to be spending your time doing. And then wherever there are things that you still need to be doing, or it still needs to be done, once you've identified those things, it still needs to be done, but you don't want to spend the time doing it, understanding how to delegate that, not just to delegate it, but delegate it in a way that you can feel that you're Letting go of the control in order to make growth as opposed to letting go of control and and just stopping there, right, yes, exactly, huh, that is so interesting and and it it sounds like you've kind of described your ideal client, but let's go a little deeper into that because I know I think a lot about my ideal clients for strengthsfinder, for the keynotes I do um and for any public speaking engagements I I have or coaching for public speaking, I think about my ideal client and my first word that pops into my head is curious. Mm -hmm. My ideal client is curious, endlessly curious. So when you think about your ideal client, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, it is. um, The thing that's really coming through for me lately is uh, focusing on meaning, on what's meaningful, what matters so my ideal client is midlife as well and again it's this matter of time and what it does and they are they really want to grow for various reasons they are midlife there's only so much time it's not like they are you know rolling in money and again it's partly legacy wanting to make sure that their children don't have to worry about them that their everything is in place but also to make money meaningfully looking at okay what's the what matters about this that i'm doing so even when it is things that you can't quite delegate yet that you don't love doing what matters about it in the scheme of things in the business but also just for you today i'm a big fan of days that matter because we can talk about the present moment but i kind of prefer assuming i'll have the day which you know, may not be true, but uh, it's just a better perspective. And just what will make this day matter? Does this does this matter today? And uh, yeah, they, they really want that deeper meaning behind it. You don't want to kind of live in that land of does this mean anything, but just checking in. And mm. yeah, that's yeah. part of where they're at. And that makes so much
0: sense because everything that I've been reading and all the the clients that I've been working with over the years, the recent years have been more focused on that than ever before, where they they do want purpose. Yep. they They want to be doing something that matters to their community or to their family or even you know, just that internal motivation. Right. I, I think a little bit about um, uh, also Brooke Errol's work in purpose, purposeful business is her stuff. Right. And, um, she, she works with a lot of different companies, but uh, the, mostly the larger companies that really are curious about how this can affect their impact mm-hmm. in, in financially and community, environmentally, all of that. So when you think about these clients that really want meaning, in their lives and in what they do in order to to make income. What's yours? When you think about, I I know everything I do is all about encouraging and um, inspiring self-reflection in the people around me. Every, everything I do is about that because I know when people are more self-aware, mm-hmm. how they're coming across, how they want to be known, um, what what legacy they want to leave behind? Then I know our communities improve. Just straight up, just more people walking around conscious like that will improve our communities, and and that matters to me. So, in your work, where does that show up? What does that look like for you?
1: For me, it is definitely uh, to do with what we talked about a little bit earlier. It's this. um acknowledgement of humanity uh, I know that sounds a bit I don't know like a soundbite but it's it really is my a deep deep need for me not just for me but like the better connections I've had and in my life is ag- that acknowledgement that we all have kind of things coming out of our bodies from the same places That we, um, you know, the saying is always like, I put my pants on one leg at a time like you. And I'm like, I don't know if people put their pants on one leg at a time. That's not a given. That's still a behavior. What we do have in common is this body. Uh, Yes, they're different. And yes, there are social, you know, um, meanings that people put onto them. But when we get to the core of it, the primal, I have real uh, desire and, and, I guess it's a need, but just to connect by saying, we are all these vulnerable beings here. And what matters to me is to to connect on that level. So yeah, sometimes it'll be a post about crapping my pants, but it's more, it, it just in conversation, it's just checking in and going, look, person in front of me, no matter what you look like, you've got these bones and this skin and how weird that this is where we are but it leaves us super vulnerable health-wise what's happening around us in our environment so there's that connection for me it's like we're we're very like that's our that's something we share um and i know it's different for different people in terms of abilities and all of that nonetheless there's just this for me this primal human and i think we need or at least to me need it more now more than ever Yes, for the uncertainty that what seems like more uncertainty, although there's always uncertainty, but also with AI and the machines and the where we are there, I just feel like it's so much more important. so for me that's that's at the core of it all. It's just mm-hmm. that and that makes
0: sense, given the work that you do, because you're working with people who are also maybe just for the first time considering their humanity and their mortality. And maybe this is a time, as you described in your kind of ideal client description, somebody in midlife, 40s, 50s, 60s, thinking about what legacy they're going to leave and how they want to be remembered. And I know I, I get this. Sometimes people consider that kind of morbid conversation. but To me, it flavors all of our decisions. It informs our choices. Every single day, the actions that we take and the way we behave and the words that we choose to use for other people. And, and it's, it, I would agree, we're at a critical time right now in terms of a lack of connection. And, um, so that, that makes a lot of sense to me that that's, that's kind of your why is to guide others to connect like that and make sure that they are checking in and fulfilling those needs for themselves and for the people in their lives, whether they're employees or family members, mm-hmm. community. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. So if our listeners wanted to learn more about what you do, particularly the entrepreneurial listeners here that would be interested in checking in with you about what they're doing and making sure their systems are in place and they're, uh, decluttering their business lives how would they get in touch with you and listeners don't worry we will include these links in the podcast show notes associated with this episode at elkinsconsulting.com.
1: Nice yeah so my website is the best place to go uh, minimalistbiz.com and uh, then secondly it would be where the fun happens where I met you uh, is LinkedIn and if you look for my name uh, Lynn River which you will have also. I love to connect with people there. That's where I hang out. And I think there's the most humanity in terms of social media. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, yeah. It
0: really is um, interesting how it, it seems like people are a little more willing to blend that personal and professional on LinkedIn in a way that feels authentic without being excruciatingly vulnerable. Yes. (laughs) Like you see in other social media uh, platforms. (laughs) And I do use that word for a reason, excruciatingly vulnerable. Lynn, this has been such a pleasure. And I'm so glad we took the time to have this conversation. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. It's
0: been so fun. Listeners, thank you so much for sitting in with Lynn Rivet and me on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Remember, you can check out all of my previous episodes wherever you find your podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever. It's pretty much everywhere. And listeners, now it's your turn. When you think about the purpose in your work and why you do what you do, that's do you need to spend some time decluttering i know i do smile what's the use of crying you'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile